Welcome back to the Why I'm Kona podcast. Join us on the six-part series from Dr. Mike Brown as he shares on the church's response to the LGBTQ plus community. Let's jump right in. What an absolute joy to be with all of you in this glorious setting. And uh, I've had the privilege of, of ministering, as Daniel said, around America, around the world, and preached many thousands of times, taught many thousands of times, but I felt the weight and the significance of this. I feel that these days together are gonna be very important for a whole generation and for YWAM worldwide, so it's, it's really my privilege to be here with you. Um, yeah, before I was saved, I was very lost. And the first time I attended a church service in August of 1971 was to try to pull my best friends out of the church uh, they had started going to the church because they liked two girls in the church. The girls were going because their uncle was the pastor of the church and their dad had been praying for them and little by little they got drawn in. And because it was a Pentecostal church, they found it really interesting. You know, talking about tongues or demons or angels and teaching a lot out of the book of Revelation and these you know, mystical visions and stuff. So I, when they started to change, my friends little by little started to get really drawn to God. I thought, I, that's it, I, I gotta pull them out. So the first service I attended in August of 71, uh, one of those two young ladies who knew me from high school wrote down in her journal, Antichrist comes to church. <laughs> that was me. Um, I had a bad reputation. And I didn't, I didn't look the way I look now. You know, I had a long-haired hippie. And I met my wife, Nancy, two and a half years later. She was a Jewish atheist and God intervened in her life, brought us together, and saved her. And, but she didn't know me in my unsaved days. So it was years later, I found an old picture, you know, my long-haired hippie days, and I showed it to her, and she started laughing. I said, you're laughing because I look like a woman. She goes, no, I'm laughing because you look like an ugly woman. <laughs> Any, anyway, um, when, when, when God radically, dramatically saved me at the, the end of 1971, I didn't know that he was doing something all around the world, the Jesus people movement it was called, the Jesus revolution, I didn't know anything about it, but it was something just all over, God did it. And, and I'm gonna tie that in with some things later in terms of what, what we sense and expect God is gonna be doing in our day that ties directly in with that. But we're gonna pray, and over these days, we're gonna go through a lot of the things in culture, we're gonna open up some scripture and, and dig in and look for biblical answers, We'll do some preaching just to, to stir us, but you'll be infit, infused with faith and truth and courage and compassion. God will put something in you, and as your hearts and minds are open, th this will be a time that we can look back to where, where, where God laid things down, a plumb line was laid out. So Father, we look to you, great God as your children. Our only agenda is to please and honor you. Our only agenda is to see your name glorified in the earth, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence. So here we are, your children. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read from John's gospel, the first chapter, just to introduce a foundational concept to you about who Jesus is and, and who we are to be in him. John 114 tells us that the word which was in the beginning with God and itself was God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Not grace or truth, but grace and truth. Verse 16 out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus the Messiah. It is important that we have grace and truth in our own lives. As we tackle one of the most difficult, controversial issues faced in the church worldwide today, we must combine grace and truth. It was in 2004 quite to my surprise, that the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about pushing back against a radical gay agenda in society. 
And on the one hand, God's called me to confrontation and controversy as a Jewish believer in Jesus. That's all I've known for over 51 years in the Lord. And I, I'm, I'm often called by God to, to tackle difficult issues. But on the other hand, my first question was, why me? I don't come out of homosexuality. I've never had a particular mandate or call to reach the gay and lesbian community. And there are, far, there are many others better equipped you know, when it came to answering the rabbis and Jewish apologetics, I wrote five volumes on answering Jewish objections to Jesus. I've done many debates with leading rabbis and Jewish scholars, but there was a void. There, there was a void. There was no one doing it, and God had equipped me for it. I'm Jewish. I had a PhD in Semitic languages. I'm a debater. It made sense, but I'm thinking, why is God calling me to get involved in this? It doesn't seem to make any sense. You already have great ministries like Focus on the Family, dealing with family and sexual issues. You have prophetic voices like Chuck Colson. You, you have political organizations like Family Research Council. Uh, uh, this is not my background. This is not my calling. Why me? And what I sensed from God, even then in 2004, so that's, that's before some of you here were, were even born. In 2004, I immediately sensed that this Gay activism was the principal threat, not would be, but was already the principal threat to freedom of religion, speech, and conscience in America, and would be the issue that the church had to deal with. In other words, no one gets to sit this one out. This is something that's going to affect every single one of us. This was in 2004. At the same time, I realized that this was not just about issues, but about people. One pastor about my age made the comment that when you speak to my generation and say homosexuality, we think issues. When you speak to your generation, you think people. And it is people and issues. It's not either or, it's both and. So I thought, if God's calling me to deal with these issues, then I have to get a heart for the people. I have to try to understand the, the pain. I have to try to understand the rejection. So I would, I'd make appointments with local gay activists and sit with them. I mean, people who were bashing the church and hateful, but the moment I said, hey, I just want to talk and hear your story, we're neighbors, we live in the same city, you know, they'd be happy to. And I'd sit and talk, just tell me your story. I'm not here to argue with you. I just want to get your, under, your, your perspective. I, I would read every book that I could read of, of, of professing gay Christians. I remember one pastor wrote a book called Holy Homosexuals. Right? And so I'm reading in their, their own experience, and you know, they, they grew up same sex attracted, and you can't tell anybody, right? Who can you tell? Especially now it's not, a, it's not the same issue on the same level, but you go back a generation. It's taboo, you can't talk about it. So you grow up with this, you keep it to yourself, you pray, oh God, change me, change me, take this away. Nothing happens. Think maybe it's demonic. People try to cast demons out of you, and you know, and they go for counseling. Some even had shock treatment because those things were done in past generation. I mean, they were done for all kinds of psychological issues. And then you think this is it. Uh, God hates me. He must have damned me. There's something wrong with me. And then you hear people saying, "No, no, no, that's not it. This is the way God made you, man. You've been misinterpreting the Bible. Come on, the Bible. Look, Christians use the Bible to support slavery." Christians use the Bible to support the oppression of women. Christians use the Bible to support segregation. This is the same thing Christians are using the Bible to bash and hurt good people. God made you like this. It's like, wow, how liberating. And, and I, I can love Jesus and be in a same-sex relationship at the same time. So I, I'd sit with people and hear their stories. I remember I was reading a book one time where, where, where gay men were talking about how they left the church because they thought God hated them and the church hated them. And I was so broken. I remember I just, I, I got alone in a room, got on my knees and wept. I said, God, I don't want to hurt people. I just want to help people. So, so this, this is something that I carry deeply inside of me. And, and in January of 2005, I was with our friend Lou Engel at a pro-life march in D.C. on the anniversary, right around the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. It was absolutely freezing cold in D.C. We walked about two miles with life tape on our mouths, the red tape with life written on it, and stood in front of the Supreme Court to pray, as, as people did ultimately for 18 years daily before Roe v. Wade was overturned. So as I'm standing there in front of the Supreme Court praying, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me about this very subject. And things that had been growing in my heart through 2004 came together in this simple phrase, reach out and resist. 
This is what we live by now since 2004. Reach out and resist. Reach out to the people with compassion. Resist the agenda with courage. Reach out to the people with compassion. Resist the agenda with courage. I understood intuitively, as well as from what I had been reading and hearing, that tremendous compassion was needed because often people who've gone through rejection and pain are very, very sensitive. Think maybe you first moved down here, you're not used to the hot sun, you get badly sunburned, and a friend comes up, hey, how you doing, pat you on the back, and you scream. Well, they weren't rough, but you, you were very sensitive because of the burn. So the same way, if you feel the church hates you, your parents put you out, or there's something wrong with you, and you've been rejected, you're gonna be very sensitive. And therefore, we can use our standard phrases, you know, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. What they hear is you hate me. Because they're thinking, this is not what I do, this is who I am. I don't do heterosexual, I am heterosexual, right? So, you know, we think our little terms, we're saying it the right way, we're being, and we're actually hurting people. So I knew in reaching out that extreme sensitivity would be needed. Again, not as a criticism of someone that you're weak, but rather you've been through a lot of rejection and pain. It's a very sensitive issue. So I, I knew, I understood this, reach out to the people with compassion, resist the agenda with courage. The other thing I knew was the moment you touch this, the moment you speak out, your life as you knew it is over. You will be attacked in ways you could not dream of being attacked. You will be accused of everything. You'll be accused of being a closet homosexual, a pedophile, you name it. You'll be vilified. And that's why so many people don't want to touch the issue because it's too hot, because it's too difficult, because there's too much controversy. Look, you, you got a local church, you're a pastor, you got enough to deal with. You don't, you don't want to be bad-mouthed in the community. You don't want to have somebody scrawl graffiti on your church walls. You don't want to be known as a bigot or a homophobe or a transphobe. So I understood that to resist, it was going to take courage. There would be attack. It would get ugly. But there is no alternative because we, this is not our lives. We've been bought with a price, right? It's not for us to, to kind of think through, well, what do I want to do or not? I've been saved 51 years and God has not yet asked for my opinion on the matter. Nor has he given me a set of choices. We have the hard road, we have the easy road, we have the large cross, we have the small cross. No, he hasn't given me that. You know, I've said for many years that the American gospel basically comes down to this is who I am, this is how I feel, and God is here to please me. The biblical gospel is this is who God is, this is how he feels, and we are here to please him. The very fundamental starting point of being a disciple, if you want to say Christianity 101, is deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. Yeah. So that's where it starts. No to my will, no to my agenda, no to my preferences, and yes to the will of God. And when you live like that, it's liberating. It's wonderful. It's glorious. And God himself backs you. So as, as I began to study things, as I amassed a large library of books to understand what happened culturally. So you do have gay activism in America, uh, even in the 1950s and before, but it explodes on the scene in the 1960s. Later in the week, I'll, I'll take you through the 60s and some of what happened and how society was transformed. But this was the counterculture revolution. This was the time of rebellion against the older generation. This was marked by sex, drugs, rock and roll, Eastern religion. So much of what we see today is simply the outgrowth of what happened then. You know, just an overview, psychologist David Myers said if you fell asleep in 1960 and, and woke up in the year 2000, you'd wake up to the divorce rate doubled, teen suicide up three times, prison population up four times, reported violent crime up five times, children born out of wedlock up six times, people living together out of wedlock up seven times. An absolutely dramatic shift. This was all happening in the 60s, and, and 1969 was the explosion. 1969 was the riots at Stonewall, Stonewall Inn in New York City, Greenwich Village. And this was a, a, a mafia-owned bar. I actually read research by gay historians on it. A mafia-owned bar. The police would regularly come in and raid it. There were transvestite prostitutes. They wouldn't have been known as transgender then. There's transvestite prostitutes. They regularly get arrested and processed and then move back out. And 
when, when there was another raid, there was a lot of stuff going on in the gay community. Uh, emotions were kind of on razor edge. And they just decided to fight back this particular day. And riots broke out. And, and that was the beginning of what was known as the gay revolution or the gay liberation movement. And it was very much in your face. We're here, we're queer, get used to it. And, and it, it was riots. I mean, attacking police and everything and shook the city. Strikingly, at President Obama's second inauguration, he, he hailed this as one of the great moments in American history. He referenced Seneca, which is the women's rights movement, and Selma, civil rights, and Stonewall as a positive transformational event in American history. And the gay activists early on realized that they had two major obstacles to overcome in order to change American thinking. One of the obstacles was the psychiatric psychological profession that said homosexuality was a disorder. It was a sickness. The other was the church that said it was a sin. So these, these have always been targeted as the, the two main groups that have to be changed. They began to really confront and intimidate uh, some of the professional psychological and psychiatric professionals and showing up at events and, and, and pushing. And Anyway, it, it had the desired effect and in 1973, the first of these major groups said that we have now declassified homosexuality as being a disorder. It's, it's just another manifestation of human sexuality. We'll continue to study it. But they made their shift all the way in 1973. American Psychiatric Association, American Psychological Association, and then all the other organizations followed them and it just fell like dominoes. You'll commonly see, I mean, for many, many years now, you'll commonly see websites saying that all these major organizations recognize this as perfectly fine, normal, nothing disordered. So since then, the main obstacle has been the church. The main one that has to be confronted has been the church. And there must be a shifting of opinion because the goalposts kept moving. It used to be that there was a call for tolerance and acceptance. In other words, just let us live our lives. We understand marriage is a union of a man and a woman. We're not interested in marriage. It's an old patriarchal institution that needs to be disbanded anyway. But, but we, just, we just want to live our lives. You can understand that, right? We want to be able to live our lives and walk down the street holding hands and have our relationships and do what we do and, and without being bothered the same way you live. Tolerance and acceptance. Years back, tolerance and acceptance got shifted to now that's homophobic because we're tolerating something. We're accept that's homophobic. If I have to accept you or tolerate you, that's homophobic. No, homosexuality, transgenderism must be celebrated. And we've gotten to a point in society where there are harsh penalties for not joining in. We'll talk more about that. Already in 2004, it became totally evident to me that those who came out of the closet Again, in their mind, fighting for freedom and equality, those who came out of the closet wanted to put us in the closet. 2004, I began to see that progression very, very clearly. And I want to share some things with you. On the one hand, with mainly young people here, you won't be shocked to hear it. But on the other hand, it's pretty intense and you will be shocked to hear it. So in 2021, major polling was done by Gallup, the Gallup organization, and Barna, Barna being the, the largest Christian pollster. And part of the polling had to do with attitudes about sex and sexuality and gender identity, various things like that. So my generation, baby boomers, uh, we were less than 3%, less than 3% of baby boomers today identify as somewhere on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Less than 3%. Uh, the generation before me, it's, I don't know even if it's 1%. When it came to Gen Z, so beginning at the age of 18, those were polled. When it came to Gen Z, 21% identified as someone in the LGBTQ plus spectrum. In the Barna poll, it was 40%. Even though if you dig deeper, only a small percentage of the people were involved in actual same-sex activity, but it was solidarity. It was my friend is gay. It was this is the cool thing. We now have a phenomenon of sociological contagion where something has just swept through the society like a cultural madness with, with especially affecting teenage girls who suddenly identify as transgender. 
never have their entire lives, but suddenly identify as transgender. So that we are actually having a crisis now with, with doctors performing full mastectomies on girls 13 years old. And now, now the horror stories are starting to come in at 18, 19, saying, what did I do? And doctors, why did you just go along with this? You're, you're having boys 10 years old being poured on, put on, on hormone blockers to stop the onset of puberty. They're sterilizing themselves for life when they come to their senses later on because 80 to 90% of all these kids who identify as trans before puberty, after, after puberty, don't identify as trans anymore. They just outgrow up. Many identify as gay, but they don't identify as trans anymore. And then I think, I, I sterilize myself with, with my parents' approval, with doctors' approval. I mean, it's reached a level of absolute madness. And I can give you example after example after example. Friends of mine, colleagues, administrators, professors, you name it, business people, athletes, pushed out of their profession because they would not agree with or celebrate LGBT activism. So when I first got called into these things, I began to address them and write about them. I had friends say to me, Mike, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you involved with this? I mean, I'm doing Jewish ministry full-time, I'm doing my radio show full-time, I'm writing other books full-time and preaching on revival and going to the nations and, and all of this. Why are you wasting your time on this side issue? And I told them, I said, I feel like an umbrella salesman in the desert, and I know a storm is coming. And you're saying to me, why are you making all these umbrellas? Dr. Brown, why all these umbrellas? Why are you building warehouse after warehouse filled with umbrellas? Like, storm is coming. Storm is coming. It has been many years now, metaphorically speaking, we've not been able to make the umbrellas fast enough. I'm going to go through a presentation in a moment, take you through something systematically. But I just want to dig a little deeper. Teaching at Christ for the Nations a few months ago at school in Dallas, where I go regularly. Young lady comes up to me, because they had asked me to address these issues, so I'm, I'm addressing them in one of the classes. She comes up after, after the class to me, she's about 18 years old. She said, uh, I was everything you just described. She said, I was gender fluid, meaning it goes from male to female, back and forth. Gender fluid, omnisexual, it's kind of like anything with anybody, and polyamorous, meaning in a loving relationship with multiple people at the same time. And she said, a year ago, Jesus set me free, now I'm here in school. And I thought to myself, if you were raised in a different era, you wouldn't have been any of those things. It never would have occurred to you to be gender fluid. It never would have occurred to you to be omnisexual. It never would have occurred to you to be polyamorous. But that's the world in which she lives. I've spoken at fine churches, godly churches that are not afraid to, to deal with difficult issues. And they've asked me to come in and speak on these things. And then afterwards, there's a line of always a line of people waiting to talk to me. And many of them standing there weeping, and it's every story you could imagine. You know, grandparents saying, we're raising our grandson, he's four. We live in this apartment building. His, his best friend is a boy that, well, he's, the boy started wearing a dress. Should we still let them play? Another guy comes up to me, he says, what do I tell my friend? This older man says, what do I tell my friend? He said both his son and grandson, so the older grandson, his son and grandson came to him and said, we, we, we are actually women in, in men's bodies, and if we don't get sex change surgery, we're going to kill ourselves. So he was trying to help them. He paid for their sex change surgery. Did he do the right thing? Another man comes up to me, tears in his eyes. He said, what do I do? This is all in one church, and I, I mean, I'm a little sampling from one church. The guy comes up to me afterwards. He says, what do I do? My 17-year-old daughter now identifies as a boy. She wants to go on hormones, and then she wants sex change surgery. She said, what, what do I do? He said, her older sister won't even talk to me anymore, cut me off because I, I'm not agreeing to do it. And I said, did she have this issue when she was young? He goes, no, no, no. He said, two years ago when the pastor was preaching about these issues, she was saying, oh, we're with you, Pastor Steve. We stand with you, Pastor. I'm on your side. One year later, out of the blue, she begins to identify as a boy. What do I do? In tears. I hooked up with some folks, 50-year reunion from high school graduation. 
I thought, I gotta get there. I gotta see these old friends and see how they're doing and maybe minister the gospel and after all these years. So they hooked me up with someone. It looked like, a, it was a woman's name. I didn't remember her from my class. And they said, oh yeah, you send the money to her for the registration or you know, for, uh, to lock things in. So I asked my wife, hey, could you send it to her Zelle account? I don't have Zelle. Could you send it to her? She goes, well, when I do, it, it's, it's got another woman's name. So she said, just check to make sure it's the right account. So I write back to her, and I thought it was a woman, and the response was, oh, yeah, that's my wife. I thought, I thought that was a woman's name. I guess it wasn't. I click on the profile. It was a woman's name. This is the woman and her wife. I mean, it's just normal life. Normal life, wherever you turn. I'm in Canada a few years ago, speaking to several hundred leaders, trying to give them courage and hope in the midst of a very difficult situation in Canada, which is even more oppressive than, than America in these, in these ways. And I tell the story about a Canadian man who's got a 14-year-old daughter. It appeared that he and his wife were separated. The daughter wanted to go on hormone blockers, is now identifying as a boy, wants to get sex change surgery as soon as she can. The father was against it, and the court ruled against the father because he went to court, the court ruled against the father and, and, and then passed a, a judgment that the father is not allowed to refer to his own daughter by a female name, in public or private, not allowed to refer to her as she in public or private, or he'd go to jail. I tell the story and people say, he's actually here, you wanna meet him? Sure, so he comes up, we're talking, so I, I, that's how I know every word of this is perfectly accurate, right? And he said, yeah, this is what's going on, and tells me the whole story. He wasn't even following the Lord at that point. He, he kind of came back to Catholicism through this, but it, it wasn't even like a biblical conviction. It was just a father's conviction. You're my daughter. You're not going to become a boy. You know when I talked to him next? After he got out of jail. He ended up going to jail. I'm not making this stuff up. It really literally happened. He ended up going to jail. He spent several months virtually in solitary confinement. It was during COVID time, so they just had him locked by himself. Get out one hour a day, otherwise just locked by himself. And, you know, when the case became public, he actually talked about it publicly and because of that, went to jail. So I'm not making these things up. I could give horror story after horror story, but this is where we stand. And the main reason we stand here is because much of the church has been silent. Main reason we stand here is because too few have been willing to speak. And often when we have spoken, it has been lacking love. It's just a political issue and we've forgotten about people. And others want to be so compassionate to help people that they've forgotten we have to take a stand on issues. So here we are, like it or not, this is the world we live in. And I have been asked to address these very issues in different countries around the world. In other words, this is a global issue that we are all facing, and our message must represent Jesus rightly. If you cut us, we should bleed love. Decades ago, when we lived on Long Island, there was a, a pet store on the island that was famous for these exotic birds, these amazing parrots. It was parrots of the world. And we just go in there sometimes, sometimes we, we'd purchase a bird there, but the real expensive ones, these gorgeous birds, we just go to sea and, and I, I'd go over to one and you know, they're on their purchase. I'd go over to put my finger there so it would come and sit on my finger and it'd go to bite me. So I'd stand back for it because they had vicious bites and my wife would go up to one and get right on her finger. I said, hey, hon, let's switch because you got the nice one, I got the mean one here. I'd go over to the other one, it goes to bite me, I step back. And she goes to the other, gets right on her finger. I said, why does it get on your finger, not mine? And, they, and she said, they can tell you're afraid. The bird could sense that I was afraid, therefore it was going to intimidate me. They knew she wasn't afraid, so it got right on her finger. We can say all the right words, but people are going to know what's in our heart. People are going to know who we are. And I am widely hated, just put in my name and homophobe, transphobe, whatever. I am widely hated by major gay organizations, been blasted left and right, be accused of, of everything. I understand that. But where I've been able to sit and talk with people, lives are changed. Hearts are changed. Attitudes are changed. So I am going to go through a presentation that I put together, the, the bulk of it, about 10 years ago, over 10 years ago. 
just to show you how much has happened and, and how, how things have shifted and how much we were shouting these things out many, many years ago. We'll show you some videos along the way. Um, we'll get probably more into transgender-related issues probably tomorrow. We'll see maybe later today, otherwise tomorrow. We, then we want to look at the word. What does the word really say? How do we respond to objections? And then do some practical ministry in the midst of this. But uh, let's go ahead and put the presentation up. You might say, queer, that's a bad word to use. No, no, it's only conservative Christians that think that's an insult. This has been a cool word. Uh, 20 years ago, dictionaries were saying it's mainstream. There was a show most of you wouldn't even know about called A Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, where you had these like beauticians and different guys, and they, they get some guy looks like me, you know, and, and now they make him look like really cool. This has been mainstream for years and years. I talked to gay, lesbian activists and folks I'd meet and tell they said, oh, that's a good name. That's a funny name for the book. They liked it because I wrote a book by that title. Strangely, no publisher would touch it, but we'll come to that later. <laughs> so let, let's look at the, uh, the redefinition of marriage. So Noah Webster, 1828 dictionary, the act of uniting a man and woman for life, wedlock, the legal union of a man and woman for life. Right? Pretty basic. That's what marriage is. This is over 10 years ago. Merriam-Webster Dictionary, today. The relationship that exists between a husband and a wife. A similar relationship between people of the same sex. A ceremony in which two people are married to each other. This may have been updated, this particular quote, after the Supreme Court outrageously redefined marriage in 2015, and the White House was, was lit up in rainbow colors. Gay journalist Andrew Sullivan said this, if nothing else were done at all, and gay marriage were legalized, 90% of the political work necessary to achieve gay and lesbian equality will have been achieved. It's ultimately the only reform that matters. When the Supreme Court redefined marriage in 2015, I began to see a shift where suddenly all these people who had been quiet on the sidelines now felt vindicated. It was almost like Psalm 2, where the nations of the earth say, we don't want the Lord and his anointed to rule over us. It was almost like they're saying, we're done with you Bible thumpers. We're done with you homophobes. We're done with you Christian fundamentalists. Now the Supreme Court's made the right decision, and they came out heaping scorn on us. Major shift. So here are some questions. If marriage is not a lifelong commitment, what does it mean? Why, why is it different than just living with someone? Hey, let's get married. And, and then a second question, if it's not between a man and a woman, why two people? I don't mean to be silly with this. I did a whole debate with a professor on campus. It's the one question he couldn't answer. If, if, it's, if it's not, think of this for a minute. If, if it's not a union of a man and a woman, now we have a certain complementarity, the differences between us, our biological complementarity, the normal ability to, to reproduce children and then to join a child to a mother and father. Why two people? Why not three? Why not four? In other words, why is two some magical number? And why can't you marry yourself? You say, you're crazy. Oh, no, no. There's a whole industry now called sologamy where people are marrying themselves because they've been too disappointed in relationships. This has been going on for years now. Let me just say one thing. The, the, the work that I did for my doctorate, ancient Near Eastern languages, we, we were all grounded. It wasn't opinions, it was text. It was reading documents. It was deciphering ancient scripts and things like that. So I have no interest in the latest internet myth or rumor. Everything I'm telling you is carefully documented and is not disputed once you look into it. So if it's not between a man and a woman, why only between humans? After all, love is love. You say, you're crazy. Okay, well, stay with me, okay? So in England, again, this is years back already. As England moves towards redefining marriage, the Daily Telegraph reports that the word husband will in future be applied to women. And the word wife will refer to men, the government has decided. Well, well why not? If marriage is redefined, then why can't you have a male wife and a female husband? Why not? Are you that bigoted? 
According to John Bingham, civil servants have overruled the Oxford English Dictionary and hundreds of years of common usage effectively abolishing the traditional meaning of the words for spouses. In the government's proposed guidelines, husband here will include a man or a woman in a same-sex marriage, as well as a man married to a woman in a similar way. Wife will include a woman married to another woman or a man married to a man. So, a man could be a wife if married to another man or not, while a woman could be a husband if married to another woman or not, all of which begs the question, why use words at all if they've utterly lost their meaning? It's like saying that up is down or up, and down is up or down, while north is south or north, and south is north or south. I mean, listen, the world we're living in today, you have a biological man who identifies as a woman and then accomplishes something, and everyone says, this is a great breakthrough for women, the first woman to ever do this. It's like, no, this was, this was a man who identifies as a woman but in our madness, in our cultural madness, you have Bruce Jenner becomes Caitlyn Jenner. And, and I don't say this mockingly. My, I can't imagine what he lived through to, to do what he's done. I can't imagine the pain, the confusion. My heart goes out to them. I don't say this mockingly. But Glamour magazine proclaims him woman of the year. I mean, this is cultural madness. So here are some of the current variations on marriage. One is monogamish. Gay men came up with this term, monogamish, because they had one emotional commitment to another man, but wanted to have the right to have other partners. Others would just call it open marriage. And then, of course, polyamory, right? So, so polyamory is different than polygamy. Polyamory is just multiple loving relationships with the same, different people at the same time. You might be married to one, but in a loving relationship with three or four. Well, it's probably a decade ago that it was reported that there were about 500,000 families in America in polyamorous relationships. And then, of course, polygamy. And then incestuous unions. You say, seriously? Well, we'll get to all of this. So you have to look at trajectory. You always have to look at trajectory. You have to see, okay, it starts here, where does it go, right? So everything that God created, Genesis 1, reproduces after its own kind. So let's say you take love and multiply love endlessly. What do you end up with? Wonderful love, 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 love. Take truth and multiply truth endlessly. What do you end up with? Incredible truth. Take um, anger and bitterness. Multiply that. What do you end up with? every kind of sinful, unclean, destructive, ultimately murder. Take sexual immorality and multiply it, you end up with the most unimaginable perversions. So you have to see if, once you start on a trajectory, where, where does it go? So years back, we had a concept of absolute morality. This is right, this is wrong. Even Hollywood had a strict code about what was acceptable in movies and things like that. Some of it reflects our old bigotry, you know, you couldn't have like a, a, a black-white couple. Some of it reflects our, our old bigoted values, but most of them were, were good values. Like you couldn't have the bad guy end up winning. You, you wouldn't show people like celebrating drug use or things like that. There was limitation to sex scenes. But then that shifted. You have your morality, I have my morality. That may be right for you, it's not right for me. Well, well then as the culture went on, we then started to mess with the concept of truth. Come on, we hear it all the time. That's your truth. That's not my truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. So we, we went from absolute morality to relative morality, from absolute truth to relative truth. Now we've done it with reality. That you can identify as whatever you identify. All right, I, I got a smartwatch on, many of you do. I can tell right now what, what my heartbeat is, is a heart monitor. Do you know that the man responsible for developing the heart monitor, brilliant guy, background like MIT, Stanford, these kind of schools. Do you know that for over 20 years he has identified as a cheetah named Spotticus? He's a furry. You say, what's a furry? There are hundreds of thousands of furries, people who identify as part animal. Listen, the first time I heard all this stuff, it sounded crazy to me. Then you find whole communities of furries, including brilliant people like this. I'm not making any of this up. 
You're saying, Daniel gave this great introduction, but man, you're crazy. No, this is all happening. This is all real. Why? It's the trajectory. How about this? Married lesbian threesome, expecting first child. Two of the women had their fathers walk them down the aisle. Oh, and you know what's nice? That they're going to homeschool a kid. At least getting a good education, going to homeschool a kid. I'm, like, I'm going to show you a video on this in a moment, but how about the woman who married herself? Or the woman who married her dog? Or the woman who married a building? Now, okay, here's the point. Please hear me. I'm not comparing two men or two women who love each other, who would die for each other, for whom same-sex attraction is as natural to them as, as opposite-sex attraction is, is to me and to the great majority of us here. I'm not comparing that to someone marrying a building or, or marrying a dog. I'm not, I'm not making a comparison at all. I'm simply saying, once you redefine marriage, once it no longer has its fundamental meaning, it could mean anything. So I see this video online some years ago, Stephen Colbert, late night TV, and, and he's, he's kind of playing the fool. He's making fun of things, but he's obviously informed enough that some of the stuff is going on. So I interact with his video. This is a few years back, but let's, let's watch this together. So you, you get the point, and you have to ask the question, okay, what is the media promoting? And now through social media and TikTok videos, and you name it, I mean, there, there is a, a mass epidemic with TikTok videos, with, with especially teenage girls diagnosing themselves as having multiple personality disorder and other things, and some of the multiple personalities, their alter egos are, are different sexes, so that's why they identify as such. Uh, in the late 1980s, two gay strategists called for a quote, it's from the book uh, After the Ball by Kirk and Madsen, they called for, quote, the conversion of the average American's emotions, mind, and will through a planned psychological attack in the form of propaganda fed to the nation via the media. Now, this was long before you had, you know, gay uh, superheroes or trans superheroes or Batman and Robin. Robin is bisexual. It was before this stuff was coming out. And many years ago, in fact, the one other time I came to Hawaii, I was flying down and saw there was an X-Men prequel. I thought, okay, this is going to be clean to watch, no profanity, no sex scenes, whatever. I'm watching the thing, and as I'm watching, it was overt. It was overt gay activists. In other words, mutant was a code word for gay. And, and when I started writing about this, I mean, just it was as overt as could be for anyone that saw the signals. I started writing about mutant as a code word for gay in, in the X-Men movies, and I got mocked on gay websites that said, this is news to you? You're just figuring this out now? This has been in the comic books for years. You're just getting it now, buddy? So what's the media been promoting? Now, all the stuff I'm going to show you here, this is the old stuff that got us to where we are today. Um, TV series like Queer Folk. Or another, the, the L word for, for lesbian. Uh, teen mom. So all the stories of, of women having, you know, teen girls, kids out of wedlock. Big love. So that's a man and his three wives. Sister wives. That's a man and his four wives. My five wives. Self-explanatory. <laughs> Polyamory. Married and dating. I mean, these were all... Uh, you know, on, on HBO or Showtime or different things for, for years. Um, here's a report, Game of Thrones, super popular. Fans disturbed by incestual rape scene. So two of the characters, brother and sister, have a baby. This is just getting increasingly normalized. How about Shizal? This is, this is a boy, little boy, it's a, it's a children's... Uh, Children's comic show, animated show. There's a boy, and he becomes a superhero. When he says, she's out, he becomes a girl. So the kids watch this. Um, let me take you back to 2009, okay? 2009. 
Just out of curiosity, out of curiosity, how many of you were born uh, after 2004? We have some of you born after 2004. Okay, right. There'd be some. All right. So this is 2009. So think of how old you were. 2009. If you're born in 2000, you're nine years old. Think of how old you were. 2009. This is this is old. Uh, I was. Uh, I lost a lot of weight eight and a half years ago, so I was bigger. You'll, you'll see me bigger there uh, in 2009. But I get a call, focus on the family, says, listen, uh, Tyra Banks is doing a show, famous model Tyra Banks, and she's gonna be talking about transgender children. And we don't have someone that's available, so we, we, we recommend that you as a potential person, so you'll be hearing from them. So they reach out to me, and, and they interview me. I said, you understand, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counselor. And they said, no, 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 you're the right person. We talked back and forth. So my wife said, just really pray about it. I felt, yeah, the Lord's in it, the Lord's in it. So I'm on Tyra Banks, and, and to give you the background, this is the first time ever on, on public TV that little children are gonna be brought out in public. This is Jane. Jane used to be a boy named John, a seven-year-old kid, eight-year-old kid on the stage. This is Jane. Jane is now a girl, and the parents crying, and yet once we understood our kid was trans, this was so important. And you know, they, there's an interview, a filmed interview with one of the boys, and they ask him, he's like eight years old, but identifies as a girl, and ask him, well, what about his you know, private part? He goes, that's just a birth defect. He's eight years old, I think this is madness. And I'm gonna be appearing next to, the person next to me is a male, biological male who transitioned to female, and became very famous as, as the, the, God, the, the sex change rock star, be, because he would perform all these surgeries, sex change surgery, and became very, very famous for it. How many of you know about a kid named Jazz? Okay, so in the, I'm, I'm glad that most of you don't, but in the world, uh, Jazz was considered to be the, the most influential teenager in America. So a whole documentary series about Jazz, who's a boy, who transitions to become a girl, the one who does the sex change surgery on, on this teenager jazz is, is the same Dr. Marcy Bowers. So there's gonna be a biological man sitting next to me who identifies as a woman, and then a trans activist, a straight woman, but a kid who identifies as trans, next to, next to, to the, the doctor, and then Tyra. So I knew, okay, I'm the, I'm the bad guy here. I am the real bad guy in the midst of a very emotional, powerful show, and they all love Tyra, Dr. Bowers is a hero on the show. So not only I am the religious fundamentalist, but I'm a big white man. So I'm like the ultimate bad guy, you know? And so I knew that I really had to convey compassion and love, that I had to be like a broken record talking about these things. But this, this is 2009. Let's go back and watch. Here's the heavy punchline. Are you ready? So remember, the, the person next to me, that's male to female, doc, doc, Dr. Bauer is the, the one grabbing my hand and trying to stop me from talking. <laughs> Last year, so Dr. Bowers became even more famous performing the sex change surgery on this kid, Jazz. But because as a boy, he was on hormone blockers to stop the onset of puberty, he didn't develop properly down there. Because of which, when Dr. Bowers did the sex change surgery. The surgery didn't work and it exploded. Had to do more surgery. Dr. Bowers, about a year ago, went public and said, we shouldn't be doing this on children. We made a mistake. That same Dr. Bowers. A little bit late in the game, isn't it? A little bit late to come to that conclusion. One more since we're on a roll with these videos. Um, any of you know the Duck Dynasty when it was real famous? Okay, uh, so I noticed Phil Robertson made some comments, some gay comments, so next thing, it's this big controversy. So Piers Morgan uh, wants to do a show when he was on CNN. So I get a call from this publicist guy, I said, hey, you wanna be on Piers Morgan? He's doing this, I said, yeah, if, if I have me on, fine, because I'm boycotted on a lot of these shows and things. Um, so, I mean, it's official, they, they have boycotts against me. So, I said, sure, I'll do it. Now, remember there, this time I was in the studio, and the producers, before 
the, the, the Tyra thing, they were pushing it. We wanted lively conversation. They were saying, interrupt each other. They were telling us to do that. Interrupt each other, make it lively. So I was trying to get my points in, but without being rude. Well, the Pierce Morgan one, I'm just alone in a studio. And all, all you see is just a bright light ahead of you, and you're, you just get an earpiece. So when you see talking heads on TV, that's how it normally is. You just have an earpiece. You don't see anything. You're just listening. So you're trying to join in, and even the British accent's throwing you a little bit. So discussion's been going on. I joined in. Others joined in. So there's Ben Ferguson, who's a conservative radio guy. Mike Lamont Hill, who's a very liberal. He's on CNN, a professor. Um, it's, it's the three of us and peers. So he challenges me. And again, uh, I just have to give one other caveat before coming on. Not only was I bigger then, but when, when uh, the gal did the makeup for me, because of the TV lights, the CNN people said, it's on, it's too light, you need to put another application on. Um, basically, since then, I have been, uh, people have asked me to appear as, as the next mummy. Uh, joking about that, but uh, when I come on looking a little different, that's the, it's not my fault, it wasn't their fault, just the way it happened. But my wife was watching, and when the three of us came up, she said, where's Mike? She didn't even recognize, my wife didn't recognize me. Uh, anyway, this is kind of like right in the thick of it. But again, these are the issues and this is how we've, we've tried to deal with them. So last video. Word is clear, the bombardment from the world is intense, but we just have to understand what we believe and why, know the truth of it, and then know ultimately, especially as we, we get to meet folks that, have, that are ex-gay and ex-trans, and talk about Jesus working in their lives, and realizing that whoever the person is, that, that new life in Jesus is wonderful, whatever your background, whatever your struggle, this is the ground we have to hold to. And I just show you these clips to say, this is, this is out there, this is the world that we live in. And, and it's not going anywhere, it's only going to intensify. However, however, I firmly believe with all my heart that the tide is going to turn. That, that as much as it seems completely impossible, when God spoke these things to me, I knew all this was gonna happen. I knew it was gonna unfold. We're gonna show you in a little while things we wrote years ago. This is what's gonna happen next, but the same God who showed me what's gonna happen next also showed me that the tide is gonna turn. And it's gonna turn through the church being the church, and as revival sweeps through the church and sweeps through the young generation with a lot of people hurting and, and lonely and isolated, we're gonna see the greatest move, the greatest transformation, gays, lesbians, trans, you could ever imagine. And it's gonna happen in front of our eyes as surely as I'm standing here. But, but first, we need to grasp the, the seriousness of the issue and the moment. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to know more, find us online at wamcona.org and we will catch you next time.